You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God of all creation, we praise you that you alone are God and created this world and everything in it. Help us follow your ways, live for your glory, and enjoy your goodness. Teach us to live with you as the author of our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we all love a good story, don't we? Uh, Whether it's a classic novel or an epic movie, uh, stories have this way of showing us our true selves. They have this way of expressing our deepest longings. So I know that for some of you, you look at the friendship between Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gamgee, and you will think to yourself, I wish I had a friend like that. Or you might read about Macbeth's ambition, Othello's envy, or Hamlet's indecisiveness, and in those characters, you see something of your own fatal flaw. But I'm actually convinced that the most powerful stories are not fictional, they're historical, because it's the reality of a story that gives it its power. Just think about it, right? We can think about uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and and the civil rights movement. Or more recently, uh, the much sadder story of George Floyd and uh, the unrest that's ignited right across not even America, but the whole world. These stories, they might not directly include us, but there's no doubt that all of them deeply impact us. I mean, just think about it. My my parents migrated from Malaysia to Australia. That's their story, not mine. But I live every day of my life in light of that bigger story. It might not be my story, but I still belong to it all the same. Well, it might surprise you to know, but the Bible is not written as a collection of random sayings from God. No, it's written as one big story. And this story is no work of fiction. No, it's nothing short of history itself. And just like any history, its reality gives it its power. The Bible, it's a collection of 66 books, each book with its own message. But when we read them together, we find the greatest story ever told. Friends, this book might not include your name, but I want you to know that it will impact your life. Because this book tells us the story of our world. It tells us all of our stories. And if we truly grasp what this story is on about, it will radically change every part and every moment of our entire lives. So today, as we start our journey through this story, God is setting the stage. He wants us to see our world as it was always meant to be. Because if we know what we were made for, we'll know what we should live for. So today, let's look at the author, the arena, and the actors in this grand story. Part one, the author. You know, a few years ago, I was speaking with one of my non-Christian relatives who lives in Malaysia. And she said to me, Adam, you've got your God and I have my God. You see, for my relative and for so many cultures around our world, atheism just isn't a thing. The problem isn't that she doesn't believe in any god. It's actually that she believes in many gods. 
competing gods, each with their own place, their own people, and their own power. Well, that's the sort of world into which Genesis is written. A world of fear, superstition, and false gods competing with each other for power. But notice how our story begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not my God, not your God, not many gods, but God. The one, true, and only God. You see, the Bible on page one opens with this massive claim, there is only one God, one creator, one author of history. Before anything else in this world existed, God was. He has always been. Psalm 90 says, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You know, if you lived in the ancient Near East when Genesis was first written, your friends would all be worshipping things like the sun, the moon and the stars. But look at verse 16. God made the two great lights. The great light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night, as well as the stars. Wow! The very objects which your friends are worshipping as gods, or so-called gods, are actually nothing more than the product of the one true God. They're not his rivals. They're not even his competitors. No, he created them and they belong to him. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might think to yourself, mate, we've progressed beyond worshipping a rock. And maybe you're right. But in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that all of us have worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator. So your jam, it might not be the sun, the moon and the stars, but all of us, without exception, have worshipped created things. Things that are good, but things that are not God. So we worship money, a good gift of God, but not God himself. We worship sex, a great gift of God, but not God himself. We worship marriage, a wonderful gift of God, but again, not God himself. And what's most tragic is we then take the pinnacle of God's creation and worship it instead of the creator. We worship ourselves. You know, I remember back in primary school, we were encouraged to write our own stories. What do you want to be when you grow up? And so we did what most kids would do. We asked our teacher, Miss, what should I be? But all she would say is, well, whatever you want to be. Which, can I say, is a very unhelpful answer for a six-year-old. But it's also a very bad answer. Because it snatches the pen out of God's hand. It makes ourselves the author of our lives. It writes a new story. In the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. But God says, no, 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 I created you. I'm the author of history. I'm the author of your life. If you want to know what you should be, just ask me. Just listen to me. You see, friends, if we know the author of history, we'll know our place in history. If we know the author of life, we'll know the purpose of life. And the author of this story, the author of our story, is none other than the one true 
and a powerful God. You know, when Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, he famously created an entire world to go with it. He even invented elvish languages that are spoken in that universe and at Comic-Con today. Tolkien created a world with all its people, languages and histories with nothing but the stroke of a pen. You see, as the author of that world, as the god of that world as such, he wrote it into reality. Well, as the author of our world, the God of our world, God has spoken this world into reality. Right throughout this chapter, in each day of creation, we read these words, Then God said, followed by the words, And it was so. You see, friends, there's a straight line between God's word and God's will. God simply speaks this world into existence. If you like reading fantasy novels or watching uh, sci-fi movies, you might think this is almost a little bit anticlimactic. There's no magical incantation, no special ritual, no forming of hand seals or charging of chakra. No, it's effortless. It's pure will. It's a simple but powerful word. It's a word that's powerful enough to bring something out of nothing, light out of darkness, order out of chaos, life out of death. In John 1, we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, God's Word that creates this world is none other than Jesus. The very word which spoke this world into existence is the very same word which saves us out of death. Jesus isn't just the God who saved us. He's the God who created us. You see, when we meet Jesus in the Gospels, we're not just meeting some guy. No, we are encountering the God who flung the stars into space. The very God who said, Let there be light. Is the same God who says, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, if you doubt God's promises, just look at his power. If you doubt his word of salvation, look at his word of creation. The author of God's story is none other than the one, true, and a powerful God. Part two, the arena. You know, just yesterday I was reading the news. And I was reading about the spread of the coronavirus around the world and the civil unrest across America. And as I read all of that, I just thought to myself, something deep inside me just felt, our world shouldn't be like this. Have you been feeling that over the last week or so? Our world just shouldn't be like this. Well, if you lived in the ancient Near East, you would have zero expectation that this world should be any different. In fact, you would look at the chaos of this world and you'd think to yourself, yep, it's about right. Because for the people who first read Genesis, this world is nothing more than the collateral damage of a battle between the gods. You see, they thought that this world is nothing more than the rotting corpse of a defeated god. 
And can I say, if that's your view of the world, you're probably not going to have high hopes for life, are you? Don't expect it to make much sense, let alone for this to be a world in which good things happen. Global pandemic. Civil unrest. No, no, no. What's surprising is that it isn't any worse. Now, I know that very few of any of our friends still believe this particular story, but you know what? Many people today believe that this world is nothing but a cosmic accident. And if that's true, then this world has no real purpose. And if this world has no real purpose, then what real purpose do any of our lives actually have? But in verses 2 to 23 of Genesis chapter 1, we see a very different picture of our world. And thank God for that. This is a world full of purpose. A world that's ordered and where everything fits together. This is the world as it was always meant to be. I want you to notice on the first three days, God orders our world. And then on the second three days, he fills our world. On day one, he separates darkness and light. And on day four, he fills it with the sun, moon and stars. On day two, he separates water from water. And on day five, he fills it with animals in the sky and in the sea. On day three, he separates land from sky. And on day six, he fills it with animals and humanity, men and women. You see, friends, in the arena of God's story, everything has its proper place. On the stage of God's play, everyone has their own position. I mean, have you ever wondered why Christians care about marriage being between one man and one woman? Or why is it that we value human life more than the life of an animal? It's not simply because that's what God says, so deal with it. No, 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 it's more than that. It's because that's how God created this world. And we're at our best when we live as we were created to live. The truth is that most of us don't like being told what to do. We're a bit like that kid in the school play who wants someone else's part, and when we don't get it, we chuck a hissy fit, we tear up the script, and we quit the production altogether. And so some of us will then ask in relation to this chapter, why should we preserve these oppressive structures which tell me what I can do and what I can't do? But friends, if you run against the grain you risk splintering the wood. The order of this world means that there is a purpose to life and a right way to live. Now, you might think that God's order in our world is oppressive. But you know what? If this world has no order, no structure, no purpose, I think it's actually a pretty terrifying place to live. It's a world in which nothing makes sense. A world where the strong exploit the weak. A world where what is good and bad is decided entirely by those with all the power. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in a world like that. And that's not how God created this world. He authored this world with order and purpose. And I'll tell you why that's such great news. It means that our lives then can be filled with order and purpose when we live according to the purposes of God. And I want you to know that those purposes are not oppressive. No, they are good. 
Did you notice at the end of each day, six times we read, God saw that it was good. He's like an artist who paints a beautiful masterpiece. And after each stroke of the brush, each blot of paint, he steps back and he says, beautiful. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. You know, that's a claim that no Buddhist can make. For a Buddhist, this world isn't good. No, this world is suffering. And the goal of enlightenment is to leave this world behind. But not so for us Christians. We know that God created this world to be good. I want you to know this, friends. Suffering and pain, sickness and death, are not the way it's meant to be. And one day, in Jesus, God will renew this world to be everything that it was always meant to be. The arena of God's story is a good world created by a good God. Part three, the actors. You know, so far, we've moved through days one to five at a pretty consistent pace. Each day has no more than four verses allocated to describing it. But but now in verses 24 to 31, it's as if everything just slows down. Instead of just four verses, no, day six is described in eight verses, double the length. It's as if in the first five days, the author's been setting the stage. And now, on day six, the lights dim. The curtains rise as he introduces the actors. And I want you to know what we see is absolutely amazing. Because these actors are not disposable extras. No, friends, you and I, every single one of us, are created in the image and likeness of God. We've been cast in God's story to represent God himself. My gosh, that's a pretty high calling. That means that every human being, Christian or not, is created with intrinsic dignity value and worth. In verse 26, God creates us to rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. You see, as good as the animals might be, as good as this earth might be, no, God has created you and me with far more value than even these. Psalm 8 asks the question, what is a human being that you remember him? A son of man that you look after him. You made him little less than God and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet. Isn't that amazing? If you're not a Christian, you need to know this. That God has created you to be just a little less than him and a whole lot greater than everything else. You know, if you lived in the ancient Near East, you would would believe that humans are nothing more than the drained-off blood of yet another dead God. And if that's your view of humanity, or if you think that we're the product of a cosmic accident, then none of us really has any intrinsic value, do we? We have no value in ourselves. Our value is only, well, in what we do. And then, well, we dehumanize each other. We reduce each other to nothing more than economic units. 
if you're disabled, weak or sick, if you're unable to contribute as such, just cast you aside. I mean, that's a pretty terrible view of humanity. Thank God that his vision of humanity is something else altogether. In God's story, every individual matters. And you need to hear this. You matter to God. In verse 27, God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. I mean, that's a radical claim to make in a patriarchal world. Right from page one, the Bible champions the dignity of women because God has created us equally in his image. And he's created every human in his image, whatever our tribe and whatever our culture. It's a bit of a confession, but I never liked the name my parents gave me. It never felt great knowing that, you know, my namesake condemned the world to death. But a few years ago, I learned that in Hebrew, the word Adam comes from the word humanity. Or dirt, but let's go with humanity. Adam, my name, represents every human being. Every person created in the image of God. You think to yourself, that's not so bad. And that means that the intrinsic dignity, value and worth that we find in this first man in Genesis is not just found in some people, but it's found in all people. I mean, that's what makes racism such a deeply offensive sin. It treats another group of people created in God's image as subhuman, as less than their glory. You know, if you've experienced racism, you, you'll know exactly how that feels. And let me be very clear. If, if we retaliate with a racism of our own, we only perpetuate a cycle, a cycle of sin that diminishes and dehumanizes us all. No, God's story starts not with one nation, but all humanity. And this story will end with people from every tribe gathered around the throne, worshipping Christ as King of the world, King of all people. Friends, whatever your tribe or whatever your culture, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your nationality, you need to know that this story is your story. This God is the one and true God, and all of us have been created with intrinsic dignity and a divine purpose. You know, just the other week, one of you asked me the question, Adam, what's God's will? What's God's will for my life? What a great question to ask. Well, think about it, right? If God has created us as actors in his story, what's my role? Where's my script? What are my lines? It's right there in verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Yep, it's true. God wants all those of us who are married to have kids, if we can. That's not an optional extra, but part and parcel of marriage. But it doesn't stop there. You see, our purpose in life is to represent God on the stage of this world. Our purpose in life is to represent God on the stage of this world. You know, in that time and place, only a king 
was called the image of God. He alone was God's representative in the world. And the rest of us, well, we were, we were nothing more than just slaves. But I want you to notice in this story, it couldn't be more different. No, God elevates slaves into kings. He's created all of us to rule this world for him and extend his kingdom in this world. Now, I know when we hear that word rule, some of us might think of a dictator who oppresses people and pillages the earth. But that's not what God means. No, God calls us to rule like he rules, to care for his world, grow his kingdom and live in righteousness, compassion and love. God's will is that we reflect his glory, speak his words and live his laws. At its core, what is God's will for our life? Is that we live with him as the author of our lives. I want you to know that when we do that, we play our part in his story. We play our part such that this whole world watches on and then just marvels at the glory of God. Friends, God created us to be a mirror of his glory. You might be confronting some significant life decisions. What should I study at university? Should I marry that person? How will I plan for my retirement? Well, if our part in God's story is to make him the author of our lives, and we really only have one question, what will give God? the greatest glory. What will give God the greatest glory? You know, what I find really tragic is that so many of us will think that living for God's glory must steal from our joy. But that's not the case. If we were created to be mirrors of God's glory, then actually living for his glory is our greatest joy. That's the way we enjoy life most. It's when we enjoy Him. And rather tragically, when we refuse to live God's way, when we insist on living our way, when we insist on writing our own stories, on being the author of our own lives, we actually dehumanize ourselves. We deprive ourselves of true joy. We make ourselves less than our glory. You see, just like an author with his actors, God casts us in his story, not to just reflect his glory, but so that we might share his glory. That when the world applauds at the story of God and gives God, the author, the playwright of history, all the glory, we, his actors on his stage, might share in it as well. And so in verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. The artist puts down the brush, steps back from the canvas and staring at his masterpiece, he says, complete. And so... After six days of writing, God completes act one of his story. On day seven, he puts down his pen and he rests. Not because he's tired, but because chapter two, verse one, 
The heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. Everything is just as it should be. The world is just as it should be. We are just as we should be. God's people living in God's kingdom with God as our king. That's the world as it was meant to be. And so on day seven, God hits the pause button as it were. He gathers the whole world, all the heavenly hosts, to celebrate his masterpiece. It's that moment at the end of an epic scene where a hush falls on the audience as we marvel at the story of God. You see, not only do we work for his glory, but on this day we share in his joy. Did you notice, unlike every other day, this day has no end. It doesn't say evening came and then morning the seventh day. No, the cycle continues as we work for God and rest in God. Or, in the words of the Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? What's the whole point of humanity? What's the whole point of my life? Well, here it is, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To work for God, to rest in God. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Friends, that's the story of our lives. And so it begs the question, are you playing your part in that story? Are you living with God as the author of your life? Are you following His ways, reflecting His glory? Are you enjoying the gospel of His Son? Act 1. God creates a good world for his people to rule and enjoy. Why don't we pray? God of all creation, we praise you that you alone are God and created this world and everything in it. Help us to follow your ways, live for your glory and enjoy your goodness. Teach us to live with you as the author of our lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen.